Welcome to Let's Chat on Here First Productions with your host, Craig Busek. What a bloody mess, Gareth. <laughs> and poor Alex. Oh, she deserved so much better. You always knew it was me that kept this ship afloat. You with the, the passion, me with the brains. Always. You've painted a pigeon. What's that about? Even worse, you're in a wine cellar, but have somehow decided to disregard Poe's only murder in a wine cellar. Mental. And that was a clip from The Legend of the Black Pigeon, a radio play written by, scored by, and starring Dan Bottomley. Dan, how are you? Hello, I'm very well. Thank you, Craig. As well as, well as one, one can be, is uh, the, that's the catch-all, isn't it, that everyone's saying? So yes. There's me being original. <laughs> well, speaking of originality, uh, let's talk a little bit about the inception uh, 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 of The Legend of the Black Pigeon, because you were there on day one when I came up with the idea of Here First Productions. You were the first person I've spoken to uh, at the time about, hey, would you be interested in writing <sighs> something for me to produce? And I just want to know what the steps were from that conversation to the finished <laughs> script that we got and produced on the day. I, I can't. It's so long ago now. Like we're talking 2018, was it? Uh, 2017, in fact. It was just after I snapped my knee. Oh, yeah, because it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a, like, hot mess of audio drama. Like, I don't, I don't know what I was thinking when I wrote it. I don't think I was very busy. <laughs> uh, and it just kind of, as with anything, it, it kind of wrote itself. Like, that's, that's the only way that I get to the end of these things is just kind of opening them up opening up Keltex and just like writing stuff. And I think it was the first time I'd actively written for audio. I think it was more of um, me just seeing what I could throw out in in that kind of medium. Um, and it just, yeah, it kind of fell out. And I, I wasn't, when I'd finished it, I wasn't sure about it. When we recorded it, I wasn't sure about it. And when I listened to it, I still wasn't sure about it, but I enjoyed it. Mm. And we changed quite a lot on the day as well. Looking at it again, I can't really remember what, what we did to it, but it did, it, we, we did fudge this and that. Well, yeah, the big thing that I remember changing were the introductory kind of news report and... And the ending, the ending changed a bit, didn't it? It did. Uh, but the biggest change I can certainly remember is when I got the first draft back and I said to you, hey, this is great. Far too many deep cut references to Edgar Allan Poe, though. I'm not sure it makes sense. <laughs> yeah, too niche. Like, uh, even, like, the thing is, I'm such, um, I don't know what I can say. Let's call my, I'm such a knob. Like, I'm not even, like, that into Edgar Allan Poe. Like, honestly, listeners. I'm not that into Edgar Allan Poe. Like I did, I ended up doing a musical about Edgar Allan Poe in 2016, which was like by accident because my friend Luke Adam Adamson said, "Look, I've got three weeks at a theatre. Do you want to do a musical version of this show, this book?" And I was like, "Sure, I got, I ain't got much on theme here." Um, um, but then I have kind of become fascinated with him, and uh, yeah, and I and I. And I I swear, like, it might sound like I'm a pure deep dive Edgar Allan Poe dude, but most of the stuff in this is a direct lift from Wikipedia. I'll be completely <laughs> honest. I'm not too proud to say it. But so when you kind of went, this is too niche, I'm like, I know it's too niche. I haven't read it either. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that. So is that the fall of the House of Usher you're talking about there? 
Yeah, the fall of the House of Usher. Yeah, we we rebranded it as the House of Usher, like a new gothic musical. Well, I have read that one, which you'll find is actually one of the few programs that I've kept on my wall of oh, great shows. It's I a enjoyed. good. It's, it's a lovely little, lovely little image. And let's not forget, there's also Richard Parker. Yeah, the other thing, Richard Parker, which was also kind of accidental because I first saw that play in Edinburgh in 2011. Um, when I was in second year of drama school, I saw it, I loved it. And I remember being a drama school student, I was like, oh, it's a two-hander, it's two blokes. Um, I'll be able, that'll, I'll, I'll remember that for showcase. Turns out there wasn't really anything, anything in it. Um, but I did get in contact with the writer and then the opportunity for me and Luke to try and put on a show to regain a bit of the money that he lost on the House of Usher came up. And I remembered this play um, and that was how that came on. So it kind of, it's all like these pieces falling into place. I feel like I'm going to die in some really gothic kind of ravens pecking my balls off situation and it'll go down in history, not. Shit, I, I read about that. That was round the corner. 2013, Suzanne Smith of Nevermore. Of, um, Wandsworth? Maybe uh, partially entombed in the foundations of her barbecue. <laughs> in memory of Madeleine Usher, buried by her great collapsed ancestral home in the fall of the House of Usher. So I think one of my favourite things to work with you on, and by work I mean let you run free and see what happens, as with the writing process, uh, was actually the music. Because not only have you got um, influences of gothic horror, naturally, but every so often I was listening being like, Oh, he definitely watched a John Carpenter movie. That's definitely a Snake Plissken inspired twang going on. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, all the other things that I like. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's like you've got the electronic stuff, but then like the cheesy like horse and all that stuff, which just cracks me up. Um, yeah, no, it was really fun putting the music together. It was hard, like so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Like really tough because... I, Usually when, I, when I've done music in the past, like bits of composing or sound design, especially with sound design, <clears throat> which this felt more in places like sound design than composing, even though it's notes and things and I didn't do the sound design. Um, but like when you're doing sound design, a director says, oh, like, oh, in this moment, I want it to do this, to have this effect and it to kind of crescendo or whatever. Whereas in, in, in this... Um, piece it's largely just one long scene and I was like how do you deal with the the like the the light and shade the ups and downs without one like overwhelming the listener with just just stuff and I was so so impressed with the sound design that Gareth had done because <clears throat> I'm a knob really like I, I, I've got all these little strings to my bow and if you let me run I'll be like yeah I'll do everything and I'm so glad that I didn't do everything because Gareth is so good and when he sent it through I was like oh this is everything that I would have wanted to do but wouldn't have been able to do it as well so there was like bits so I'd done music and I was really keen that it wouldn't overwhelm the little there's so many little things there that Gareth put in that I was like, well, I can't have music there, but then also I can't just drop it out because once a listener's heard some music, like I learned this from uh, Wills, who did the sound design from House of Usher. Um, I kind of took a bit of this from him, I suppose, because with House of Usher, he was like, I'm going to put music, I'm going to put sound design throughout. 
so that people notice when it's quiet. Mm. And I'm like, I, that's that's as important as when you're being, is when you decide to just let it breathe. And there was lots of moments in this where it just needed to to breathe and not be too overwhelmed. But it's like, where do you do that? And uh, thankfully, though, I was far enough away from having also written it for me to kind of feel like it was someone else had done it. Yeah, I think that's what I find with most writers that I talk to about this uh, is when they lose that preciousness is when the project mm, thrives I more. think, yes, definitely. But also, I with this, you, you might immediately say, sod off, Dan, you're talking out your ass. But I've never felt, I don't feel like I felt massively precious about this piece. Like, I, I think when we were on the day, I was like, yes, please, let's make all the changes we want to make as long as it doesn't, like, completely skew what the story is or what the story is trying to be. Mm. So, and I think that's due to the fact that it, I did throw it together relatively quickly and you were just like, yeah, let's make it. And I was like, cool, yeah, let's make it and let's just see what we can do do with it. And so I think there was there was a really nice, what I what I liked about this, I don't think the the final piece is is like perfect in in any way. There's certainly flaws with it, but it's it's mad and it's just like just a big ball of creative like whatever. We just kind of threw we threw everything at it. There's so much stuff in there, and like it's taken such a long time because there it, there is a lot of stuff in there. But it it kind of just came out of yeah, do that, yeah, put that there, get that person to do this. Um, so the the time in that sense kind of belies the kind of hot like fireball of energy that it kind of felt like at the time it feels very considered like all the music I put on it is obviously very considered and the sound sounds very considered but I think the energy of it is like what and with that did you write with yourself Matt Ollie and Elna in mind to play the characters what was the thought process to going from page to mic, as it were, in that respect? So I'd worked with Ellie on Dickensian Christmas, the which was would have been the year previous to this happening, and uh, Matt and Ollie on Jungle Book the year previous to that. But no, I didn't have any idea of the people when I was when I was writing it. I knew that after a while, I was like, okay, I'm gonna play this lead part just because we don't have enough rehearsal time to go through like the who's, the why's, the what the fuck's of this character. It's just going to be easier if I go in and shout. And like, I'd have, I'd, it would have been nice if someone else had done it. Uh, listening back, I was like, ah, yeah. Uh, but um, no, I, 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 I didn't, I, I think I initially wrote it like the terrible person I am for four guys. And I gave it to Eleanor and she was my girlfriend and she was like, why, why is it all men? And I was like, I was like, oh yeah, no, I like, why is it four men? And thus Alex became Alex, <laughs> the female version. Um, but then to be fair, like it's made me question a lot of stuff in my writing and I try to use um, non-gendered names now when I write and just then if ever they happen, uh, then people will just, for certain things, obviously it doesn't work, but like on the whole, because if you answer it, if you, if you can't think of the why, then you're like, well, if you can't answer that question, then it doesn't matter, does it? You went so obscure! The imp of the perverse, an underrated tale of a man compelled by some otherworldly force to murder his close friend and, in doing so, inherit his fortune! That was my mistake. <laughs> no, Gareth, it was not. It was genius! 
Death by poison vapor candle, who even does that? And of your closest confidant, Rufus. Such commitment, heartless, but inspired. It went wrong and you come back with this. So onto the big question that I ask every writer after they've, you know, had a completed radio play released. Is there anything about the writing process looking back that you would change? Probably not really. It was, it, it was, the, the whole recording of it was, was great. And I feel like, although it came together quickly, I had put a lot into that script after I'd written it and looking at it. I don't think there was anything else I could have really fiddled with without changing it into something completely different. Um, yeah, no, I, it's like, it's nice that it's imperfect and a bit of a hot mess. Like, it's great. <laughs> There's been things that make more sense and things that make less sense, and I'm happy with that. <laughs> you can quote me on that. Oh, absolutely. We're putting it on the poster. <laughs> I'm cool with that. So the time I've known you, Dan, you've written a radio play, you've done music for it, you've acted in it, you did the UK's touring production of Once, you were in Mole Flanders, I came to see you in Colchester, you've done sound design for stage plays, you were in Mike Lee's Peterloo. What's next? Well, that's a painful question, straight to the heart. <laughs> My apologies. Um, no, I mean, I'm still, rec- I'm still recording books. Um, I've, I mean, there's, there's auditions happening now, it's nice, things are like quietly opening up again um um but there's 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 nothing majorly creative on the horizon at the moment which is it's a shame it's just it's just what it is it's kind of become a bit of the norm um but I, i'm still trying to stay as creative as possible do my art when i can but i, I just find, find it harder to find things to like to 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 do in that sense but i, I have been writing sketches which i haven't written I've never really written sketches, um, but I, I think I felt like I just needed an outlet. Um, it was about a week and a half ago, and I, I started writing a few sketches, and I was like, oh, this, is, "This is silly," um, and they are just very silly. And I didn't really have a a concept, and I was like, "Oh well, if I want to make these into a," th- I was like, "I'm going to think of these like a thing I'm going to make, even if I don't make it." So I kind of thought of a structure and yeah, I've written like 25 and I was like, maybe I should try and write like eight 15 minute episodes. But now I've, I've completely run dry. And the, the last few I've been writing, I've been like, I mean, some of them are like, I sat down and I read them through with Eleanor and afterwards she kind of looked at me and was like, are you okay? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think it's just because, like, all the all the sketch comedy that I've grown up with is like, it's League of Gentlemen, it's Little Britain before it all went wrong, and like back in the days where you know things things change, um, and like and especially like for me, like the Little Britain radio show was a big influence for me. I used to love that the Mighty Boosh radio show. Oh. Bananas. Yeah, their their radio show is absolutely batshit, and then they put it on TV, and, um, and that it kind stayed of stayed equally batshit. Exactly. Um, uh, but I, I've I like I've also got like a deep vein of I, I quite like that when things are just like really sad, you have to laugh. So quite a lot of my sketches kind of come out of that, and obviously there's like a lot of that about at the moment. So I think and maybe it is a form of um, 
a kind of some kind of therapy. But then I guess writing, all writing is in in a lot of ways. But yeah, I might do something with it. I might not. Like I, I've kind of written it into a form that could be recordable. It's very strange. And uh, how many of them feature Edgar Allan Poe? Oh, none. <laughs> <laughs> Zero. There's there's Ian McKellen's in one. Sure. Which I was thinking because Matt Burns does a good Ian McKellen. I've, I, I'm casting this one already because there's some celebrities. Bear Grylls is another. Of course. Yeah. It's, it's very odd. So now that uh, The Legend of the Black Pigeon is finished, it's been released, uh, what has been the critical reception from family and friends? Uh, what's Eleanor said? But Eleanor enjoyed it. There was more... I can't, she did give me feedback, but it was when it came out now, and I, I can't remember what it was. But no, she she enjoyed it, and she did laugh at it, which is a good thing because she she'll only laugh if she actually finds it funny. We've been going, we've been together for too long now for it to humour me anymore. My mum didn't like the American accent bit, and I'm like, okay, it goes it goes on a bit, and I I I, I understand it. But at the same time, it does play a necessary role for character development. It does. But if you don't if you don't stick with it, you might just turn it off. Going, well, that's a sh- rubbish American accent. Like, I could have maybe done it. I reckon I could have gone worse with it. It's tough to know where's where's the line. But I was, so, I have to say, I was really proud of the work that all, all the actors did in it. I think they were they were so good. Uh, listening to it back, even more so, just reminded me of how how brilliant they all are. It's. Genuinely the easiest assembly that Gareth and I had to do because every take was like, okay, we've got it, move on. And you're right, that is a testament to just how good the acting was in this performance. Credit where credit's due. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to um, Eleanor Toms, Matthew Burns and Oliver or Ollie Gianni. Ollie's not acting anymore. He's gone into a sensible profession of being a barrister, I believe. But yeah, they all just did such such great stuff and it's just nice to like write such weird parts for like your mates to do. Like it's just that's part of the joy of it. And for me personally, no, nothing more joyous than watching Matt Burns really commit to his death in the recording booth on the day. Oh, that was really quite, something quite disturbing and exciting and arousing and just downright despicable about the whole affair well dan it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you uh for anybody listening who wants to get in touch wants to see your work where can they look um so uh i've got i do i have an art account which is dan.b.art on instagram and facebook i'm on twitter at dan underscore bottomly i believe could just be dan bottomly gosh it's been a while since anyone's asked me this and i think i have have a youtube channel as well because i've been doing lots of music covers that's another thing i've been doing and currently working on a very intricate steely dan cover which is, is it's great yeah it's good again practicing skills and things and trying to keep the um, music chops up which has been easy to drop what was the one I watched most recently with um, you and Dom doing it? Oh, uh, that was that was early on in lockdown. That was us doing an Iron Maiden cover. And then uh, more recently, I did a Queen one, Friends Will Be Friends. Those are the two I've done so far. But I'd quite like to do some more. It's really good. I'm kind of doing this one with a different bunch of people. Uh, so, yeah, that's good fun. Excellent, man. Well, look, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me and talk about the 
Legend of the Black Pigeon writing process. I want to say thank you for all the hard work you put into it. And um, ultimately, I'm just glad that we've made something that we're both very proud of. Thank you, Craig. You've, you've been a brilliant facilitator throughout my whole knowing of you. It's, you're a pleasure to know and a talent. You're a man of many talents, uh, screenwriter, stage writer, uh, screen actor, play actor. Play actor, I'm aware, sounds terrible. Play acting. Ooh. Oh, look at me, I'm a play actor. <laughs> Three years of drama school, still doing it. <laughs>